CrossbreedHolsters.com presents The Urban Shooter Podcast The weekly pro-gun variety show Featuring the internationally known black man with a gun Your friend and brother from a different mother Ken Blanchard You survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Urban Shooter Podcast. And yes, I am your host, Ken Blanchard. Thank you for joining me again on another fun, feel, factual, and low fan episode. Episode 160 of your favorite righteous podcast. This week, this week I go off a little bit and talk about the Hoochie Coochie Man. Also, question of the week, zombie strike, and a real quick shoot, don't shoot. And the question is short, but I want you to respond to me by email or Facebook or on Twitter on your response. We'll talk about that in next week's show. Thank you. Let's get rolling. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all all right the weather is cooperating and man is it nice out here i had the best easter i can remember the church was on fire on resurrection sunday things have just been going well for me there as pastor and can't thank god enough how you making out you know i hurt my back but uh, i'm getting through that What's new in your world? I'm sporting my ESS glasses and loving them like you wouldn't believe. Got them on now. Feeling too cool for school. Had a contest last week and the winner was or is Carson from Canada. He was like the first person who sent in an entry. And when I picked from the people who sent them in from the Urban Shooter members, it was an exclusive contest. Only those who support the show. I'm going to do that from now on. Trying to have something at least every two weeks. I'm going to get some good prize. Well, Carson is getting a full set of protective eye pro and uh, with all these interchangeable lenses and everything from ESS Eye Pro Wear. Ain't that something? Yeah. Well, if you want to be in the mix, become a member of the Urban Shooter Association. All right. If you want to email me, my email address is blackmanwithagun at gmail.com or ken at urbanshooterpodcast.com. The emails for the show notes is urbanshooterpodcast.com and the flagship is blackmanwithagun.com. I hope I see you in a couple of weeks, but just in case, you can give me a call toll free, leave a message at 888 772 6262. That's my voicemail, and I'll get that if you want to. Make a comment for the show, especially after this one, because I'm going to say a few things that might tick a few people off. Um, just got to get it off my chest, you know. Let me know what you think of episode 160. Hey, if you've been listening to this show for a while, I've been talking about the great Second Amendment march that's coming here on April 19th, 2010, at the Washington Monument. There's been ads on all the Gun Rights Radio Network shows. Um, there's been a great site on SecondAmendmentMarch.com. 
But with all the positives that's going on, there's a lot of negatives. And it's kind of got me in a bad funk. It's kind of like a big carnival um, on how divisive people are. Here in Washington, we're used to protests, we're used to diplomats, we're used to high-profile people coming and going. What I'm not used to is the hatred, the anger, the frustration, the evil. The Second Amendment March has been put together by some really faithful people, regular salt-of-the-earth people who want to have a, a peaceful demonstration exercising it's all their rights to stand for the country. The problem is we're all standing apart. If I mess up and cut, cut the television on, I'm going to listen to talking heads of every color talk about both the president, both the tea, right, the tea Party people, they might be calling tea baggers. Um, they're just a lack of respect on every front. When I was a little kid, you wanted to become the president. If you were fortunate, you might even want to become a senator or congressman or representative. You wanted to be a part of the government. It was an honored profession. Where is our honor? Where is our respect? Where is our accountability? And not just the people we elect, but even for ourselves. We defame and defraud and, and malign and just talk nasty about everything. Everything's a group. Do you not understand that we're all connected? It's called the U.S. It's us. If you slander the guy next to you, he's probably related to me. And that you're a front to him pisses me off eventually. We haven't understood. We, we've forgot a lot of stuff. We've gone so far with electronics, with media, with technology, but our humanness is showing all its flaws right now. And it's becoming a sideshow. You know, sideshows were a big thing in the early 1900s, early 1800s. Before we had television and DVDs and Netflix and all that stuff, we had the sideshow and all types of attractions. You got the big tent events where there's like 10 little things going on under the big tent. Then you got the star attraction. Then there's the freak show. And then early in the, I forgot what age it was, there was the burlesque. The porn. Well, back then they called it the hoochie coochie. Something for everybody. Something to make you free. Something that was erotic. Something to make you disgusted. Something to amaze your friends. But right now, looking over the catechism of all the stuff that's going on with the pro-rights movement, we're the freaking sideshow. And I feel like the hoochie coochie man. We got a march. April 19th in Washington, D.C. And there is a group of people 
maybe only four or five, who knows, could be more, that are planning a march at the same time in Virginia, armed. And while they have the right to do so, guess where our media is going to go? Guess who's going to be represented in a negative light? Now, I'm not just going to pick on them. But how about our big organizations that aren't a part of the march? See, the march isn't new, actually. The march happened about 15 years ago as well. We had one at the same place. G. Gordon Liddy was a star attraction. But we got one group over here and one group over there and everybody has their own agenda. And then you have people who in the entertainment business won't do something unless they're paid for it. And they have folks over here that won't do things because they won't get their 10 minutes of fame. And I, I have to make sure I'm the right person on the program. And if I'm not before this person, then I'm not speaking. And I can imagine all the backstage stuff that's going on right now as we get closer to the event, which was supposed to be for the right to keep and bear arms. What happened? I was talking to a friend today about the National Rifle Association. You know how easy it is to paint us all on one broad brush? The good thing about the Urban Shooter Podcast is that we are diverse. We are all over the map. And coast to coast and in foreign countries. But some of the big organizations you would think we were invisible. And what I mean is, we're pro-gun shooters of every color, every background, every religion, every ethnicity, sexual preference, that whole thing that just wigs people out. We're all people. But it's really easy to just make all pro-gun people look like one type of person. And you know how easy it is to do that? We allow it. Now, in May, the National Rifle Association, the most popular, most highly known organization for the right to keep and bear arms, will be having their annual meeting. Country music is the favorite. Nobody I shoot with listens to country music unless I'm playing it. Now, you know, if you listen to this show, I listen to everything. I'm as eclectic as you can get. But the rest of the world is not. How do we get so one focused? How do we get so centered on ourselves? How do we cater to one group at the expense of the others? Then we have talking heads talking about how the president of the United States is a socialist. Definition wise, yes, he's done some socialist stuff. But I'm telling you right now, as an evangelist for the right to keep and bear arms, you can't win hearts and minds if you're dogging the person that a lot of people love. You have to season your talk with some common sense and add some respect to it. He's still the president of the United States. And then you also can't dog the religion of Islam or Judaism or Catholicism. You know, it's just best for some people just to shut up because they don't know when they're not saying thing. What am I saying? I'm saying respect is on short order here. Respect 
of the office, respect of the person, respect of each other. We're falling short. The tea party started out pretty good. Now, it's mud in this city. It's associated with one group. The ones who called the congressman the N-word, the ones who called the other one the F-word. And I assume that all our work also will be thrown down the tubes for the actions of a few. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I'm disgusted right now. I'm really, I'm not feeling real well. When we gonna wake up and smell the coffee? Each person who has a trigger, who belongs in this sport, should be together. Unification, unified, solidarity. We should be together, fighting one cause, one vote, one voice. But yet, we are all outstanding in our fields. Airsofters and paintballers. Paintballers not even calling air markers, guns. Not even associating with us. But guess what? If it has a trigger, you're part of the family. Hunters, not too particularly caring about those who have military-style rifles and black rifles. Cowboy action shooters, not necessarily caring about competition shooters or recreational shooters. We have a lot of gun snobs. There's even talk of racial problems. And I think next week, I want to grab the rabbi and talk about race. It's a sideshow. We got freaks. And we got a whole bunch of stuff happening under the big tent. And who am I? Well, not the star attraction. I'm just the hoochie-coochie man.
I'm sorry about that. I'm going to try to lift my little spirits here and give you something positive to talk about after I just ranted on like a fool for a few minutes there. But I'm allowed, right? But then don't you understand what I'm saying? I, I know you do. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for understanding. That's why we're family, right? Hey, there is um something I haven't talked about in a while. I have an Urban Shooter patch that is still available. Great for your gun bag. Great for your jacket. Great for your refrigerator if you stick a magnet to it. It's a three-inch uh, white patch with the Urban Shooter logo designed by Urban Shooter. And it's available as a support token. Um, if you get one, you'll be helping the site out. It's $10. And I take PayPal and GunPal. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget crossbreedholsters.com. And now, back to the man who's packing more than a browning. This is Zombie Strike. Part 25. Salem, Wyoming, approximately 50 miles west of Laramie, 18 February, 2010. 1,100 hours local. Countdown. One year. Eleven months. Twelve days. Jim Collins went silent. It had been over two decades since he had discussed Nate West with anyone. Now, Mateo Cortez, the zombie strike field leader and Jim's boss, was asking. Mateo waited impatiently with a look of rage on his face. He had the right. Jim didn't tell him about the things that were important to the team's safety. Jim never told Mateo about the altar. I'm Nate West, Jim said finally, his voice weak. Nathaniel James West was the name I was born with in this town. He gave Mateo a somber look. And I know what the minion is looking for. There was a dark silence between the two men. Mateo burned with the rage of betrayal. He wasn't saying anything because he didn't trust himself to speak at the moment. In that valley is a evil place. The townsfolk avoid it, but they don't know why. Everyone just stays away, Jim said. The reason they stay away is the altar. It exudes evil. I don't know why or what went on there to create the evil. Maybe it's been there since God created the earth. I don't know but I do know what it can do. Tell me what it can do and how you know about it, Mateo demanded. Then I need to take you back almost 30 years ago, Jim said, straightening up in his bed. He took a deep breath and told a story that he hadn't spoken of in a long time. Salem, Wyoming, approximately 50 miles west of Laramie, 25 June, 1981, 1100 hours local, Countdown, 30 years, 11 months, 12 days. 
Nate, I need you here right now, hollered Thomas West from across the field. Nate looked up from the fence he was mending. Something was wrong. He could hear it in his father's voice. Nate mounted his horse and galloped across the grassy field to where his father was waiting with the truck. As he neared, Nate's mind raced as to what he could have made his father come out here. The two weren't on the best of terms at the moment and were staying on opposite parts of the farm any time they could. Nate examined his father as he reined in next to the truck. Thomas West was almost 40, and the years of hard work in the elements showed. Tanned, leathery skin and deep creases in his face made Tom look almost 10 years older. The thinning brown hair and slight stoop to his normal towering frame added to the appearance. Nate was expecting a somber look, like one would expect upon hearing the news that someone died. Tom's dark eyes were flashing with anxiety. Something was truly wrong. Son, have you heard from Jeannie? Tom asked in a flurry. Nate's heart dropped. His father only spoke fast when he was forcing the words out. What had happened to Jeannie? No, sir, Nate answered quickly. When was the last time you saw her? Tom asked. Nate hesitated. His parents weren't too keen on Jeannie, and even less on Nate's apparent interest in her. The entire reason that the normally close Tom and Nate weren't speaking to each other was because of her. Still, there wasn't that normal look in Tom's eyes when he was trying to catch Nate and some indiscretion. This was an urgent need. I saw her last night in town, Nate admitted. He expected some anger from his father. Nate was supposed to be staying away from town and Jeannie. The total lack of anger in his father's face scared Nate. She's missing, Tom said with rushed bluntness. Never came home last night. What do you mean, Nate demanded. I dropped her off at her house before coming home. He knew he was yelling at his father, but he didn't care. The only thing Nate could see was Jeannie waving goodbye from her front door. What in the hell had happened? He needed to get over there to her house right now and find out. Tom must have seen it because those weathered arms shot out and grabbed the horse's bridle. You need to calm down, Tom said sternly. Right now, you were the last person to see her. Do you really think that Deputy Young won't try to pin this on you? The West weren't well liked by this new sheriff and his cronies. Young, in particular, seemed to have some grudge against Nate. It was why Nate was supposed to stay away from town. Nate didn't like it, but his father was right. I want you to stay here until I come and get you, Tom said, climbing into the truck. Try to see if you can remember anything about last night. Nate nodded as Tom sped in the truck. For endless moments, Nate's mind was tormented by horrific images of what could have befallen Jeannie. Frustration and anger rocked the young man. He needed to do something, and there was nothing he could do. Or was there? Nate went back over last night in his mind. Fear and determination cleared away the love-colored haze of the night. It had taken some doing to push the ancient pickup out of the barn to the sloping driveway that led into the West Farm. At least, he didn't have to sneak up to Jeannie's house. Her parents were, quote, refugees from California, and they found Nate's Western mannerisms quaint. They graded a bit on the pride of the 16-year-old, but he hid it well. After all, it meant they let him take their daughter out. 
the two of them went down to the new McDonald's in town. Most of the high school kids hung out there. It was all the most of them could afford, and none of the bars were about to draw the new sheriff's attention by letting underage kids in. Nate remembered hanging out with Jeannie's friends mainly. Nate knew them, but hadn't hung around them until he started dating Jeannie. After all, they were the small town's rich kids. Nate generally didn't mind. There had been some awkwardness in the beginning, but now he was getting along pretty well with most of them, especially Chris Roberts. He was the boyfriend of Jeannie's best friend, as well as the town's star athlete, son of the bank president and all-around super guy. Nate thought he hated the guy, but the two became fast friends after discovering shared passions for fast cars, pretty women, and shooting. It had been a pretty regular night. The only interesting thing had been some tense moments when Nate introduced Chris to his old friend Alan. Nate's mind froze. Alan. Everything fell into place. Nate looked across the grassy plain to the hills. The hills that surrounded the valley where Death Grove lay. Nate had thought it was strange Alan was back in Salem. Now it made sense. Nate kicked his horse into a gallop back to the house. His mind raced back four years when three 12-year-old boys ventured into that valley. Only two came out, and they had been forever changed by what had happened. If Alan was trying to recreate what had happened, Nate was going to need help and some guns, and ammo. Lots of ammo. The police were at the main house. Nate quietly snuck into the barn. His grandpa's M1 carbine and Colt 45 were stored there. So was Deputy Young. Young still looked like the brute of a linebacker he had been when he went to high school. The brown uniform of the sheriff's office stretched to contain the deputy's frame. Young matched Nate's height but easily had 50 pounds on the teen. A malevolent grin cracked Young's square jaw as he saw Nate. He didn't say anything. He had the young cowboy right where he wanted him. He wanted to savor this moment. A cold calmness came over Nate. He didn't have time for this. Young took a step towards the still-mounted Nate with a hungry glint in his eye. Nate made a snap decision and charged like a knight of old. Young's eyes went wild with incomprehension. The kid was attacking him. He never saw Nate's kick. Nate's nemesis dropped in a heap. Nate de didn't take the time to collude. He collected the weapons and the ammo before starting up his pickup truck and racing out of the barn. He didn't even slow down until he brought the truck to a screeching halt in front of Chris's house. If Nate was right, he's going to need help. Chris came out on the porch with a shocked look on his face. What are you doing here? Chris asked. The cops are looking for you. Don't have time, Chris, Nate said as he bounded up to the house. We need to get to Jeannie. Chris gave Nate a hard stare. Heartbeats passed in silence, and Nate was scared that Chris wouldn't trust him. But he was the only one Nate could trust. Chris's hard stare changed into a look of determination. I'll get my rifle, Chris said. In less than 20 minutes, the truck was bouncing along a dirt road that led up into the hills surrounding the valley. Chris tried to hide his fear as the two boys neared the forbidden place. Chris thought he was scared because of all the old folk stories surrounding the valley and the forest in it. Nate knew better. 
he felt the familiar waves of evil energy as they neared the valley. Through his own uneasiness, Nate felt hope. The energy was still weak. There was still time. The two boys left the truck at the top of the hill. Nate led his friend down a trail. The same trail Nate would use 30 years later to lead a group of army soldiers against a zombie outbreak. The two boys stopped at the edge of the forest. Nate turned to his friend. Remember that guy you met last night? Nate asked. Chris nodded, but he was confused by the question. He's got Jeannie. There's an old altar in the forest. That's where he has her. You're going to grab Jeannie and get her back to the truck. No matter what you see or what happens, that is what you do. What are you going to do? Chris said, shocked by the sudden change in Nate. I'm going to deal with Alan, Nate answered. Chris swallowed nervously. Nate's grim tone frightened Chris. The two gripped their weapons and entered the forest. Nate felt the dark energy strengthen as the two crossed the invisible threshold. Nate, how do you know what's happening? Chris asked. Not the first time Alan and I were here, Nate said guardedly. Painful memories swirled in his head. Was that when Jesse Parker died? Chris asked. Small towns never forgot when his children died tragically. Jesse had been used for years as a lesson on why no one went into the valley. Yeah, Nate answered, feeling a pain he had long thought buried. So why did Alan kidnap Jeannie? Chris asked. What is he doing here? When Jesse died, some weird stuff happened, Nate answered brusquely. It screwed Alan up. It's why his family left town afterward. Now, He's trying to get the weird started back up. Nate stopped and turned to face his friend. You don't worry about any of that, Nate said in a voice that was much older than his 16 years. You're here to get Jeannie and get out. Don't wait for me and don't stop until you get back to the truck. Do you understand? Chris nodded. Nate wasn't sure if Chris really understood, but he would have to trust his friend. Time was running short. After a few hundred yards, the forest opened into a clearing that was roughly a hundred feet in diameter. The ground was covered with a thick carpet of wild grasses that gave off a soothing scent. The whole area, with its green grass dotted with the colorful blooms of wild flowers and surrounded by mighty evergreens, should have been the very picture of a peaceful, natural scene. Except for the black stone table, surrounded by sun-bleached bones. The two boys stopped at the edge of the clearing. The sickening waves of energy were stronger than ever. Jeannie was lying on top of the altar. Nate couldn't help but notice she was completely naked. His mind briefly sized up with the conflict between youthful hormones and rage at what had been done to his loved one. Finally, Nate tore his eyes from his girlfriend to Alan. Alan's tall and lanky frame was hidden under an oversized brown robe. It looked like the kind Obi-Wan Kenobi wore in that movie. Nate's one-time friend was methodically circling the altar. Alan was chanting something, but his tone was too low for Nate to understand the words. Alan swung a large knife in his right hand. With every step, the blade came closer to Jeannie. With every word, the dark energy became stronger. The bones surrounding the altar rattled. Memories swarmed Nate's mind of 
Jesse jumping up and down on that altar to prove it didn't scare him. Of Jesse slipping and cracking his head open on the edge of the table. That's when all the bad stuff happened. When the dead began coming up out of the ground. When Nate should have been terrified, but instead found a calm strength to pull his friend's body from the altar and sprint away from the creatures. He should have seen that Alan wasn't scared either. He was fascinated. Nate snapped back to the present as Alan's knife came within a whisker of Jeannie. Nate looked over at Chris. The teen was shaking with fear, but he hadn't run away. Nate calmly took the rifle out of his friend's hand. It was time to act. Chris, go get her, Nate said quietly. Chris didn't hesitate. The athlete took over as Chris launched himself into the clearing. Nate waited half a second before chasing after his friend. The sudden noise startled Alan. He whirled to face them, his robes billowing out with the movement. His face was twisted into a mask of rage and evil. Chris was the town's star athlete for good reason. He had crossed the 50 feet to the altar before Alan could react to the two teens' appearance. Alan snarled and swung the knife at Chris. Chris ducked the wild blow before diving for Jeannie's still form. Alan howled in triumph as he brought the knife up for an overhead stab. He didn't see Nate's fist. Nate hammered Alan to the side. The blow lifted Alan off the ground and threw him away from the altar. Nate loomed over Alan with pistol in hand. He brought the weapon up. The mechanical click of the safety coming off cracked loudly through the clearing. Nate's finger laying on the trigger. He could put a round into Alan's head and ended. It made so much sense. Alan looked up Nate. Alan looked up at Nate and gave him a welcoming grin. Nate froze. Alan was insane, but he wasn't stupid. If he wanted Nate to kill him, there was a very bad reason why. Alan, I'm not going to kill you, Nate said, clicking the safety up and lowering the pistol. Oh, don't feel bad, buddy, Alan said in a soothing voice as he rose shakily to his feet. I'm going to kill you. Either of us die here, I still win. His cackle was a slimy, evil thing. It should have frightened Nate. It just made him angry. The clearing rocked with the sound of gunfire. Alan crumpled to the ground as his knees were disintegrated by the forty-five caliber bullets. Nate ignored Alan's screaming. Nate bound Alan's hands with strips cut from Alan's robes. Alan pitifully lunged at Nate. Nate responded by punching Alan in the head. Alan's jaw shattered and several teeth were now on the grassy ground, but Alan was still screaming and fighting. Nate was annoyed. That always worked on TV. Nate tussled with Alan before hoisting the injured teen onto his shoulder. Alan went limp. Nate felt a moment panic. Was Alan dead? No, he was breathing, just unconscious. Nate thanked God for small mercies and began hauling his one-time friend out of Death's Grove. Salem, Wyoming, approximately 50 miles west of Laramie, 18 February, 2010. 12.30 hours local. Countdown. One year. 11 months. 12 days. Jim fell silent. There was more to tell Mateo. It didn't have to do with the altar directly, but it affected the team. Some of it started that day, but it was hard to find the words to start that story. 
After grappling for a few moments, Jim took a deep breath to continue. The thundering wave of evil energy stopped him cold. Dear God, what was that? Tail asked, looking suddenly sick. Matt, help me up, Jim said as he began to lift himself out of the hospital bed. We need to get to the army. Hold on, Jim. I know that's not all, Mateo said, putting a hand over Jim's chest. Didn't take much effort. Jim glared at his team leader. It's going to have to wait, Matt, Jim snarled. That energy was from the altar. The only way we could have felt it here is if someone managed to get it out of the valley. This concludes another installment of the narrated story Zombie Strike by Derek Ward. Join us next time for another exciting edition of the ongoing saga. This product is protected by copyright owned by Blanchard Studios, Kenneth Blanchard, and other individuals or entities. Any production, retransmission, republication, or any other use of part or audio file on this site is expressly prohibited unless prior written permission has been granted by Kenneth Blanchard or the appropriate copyright owner. All other rights reserved. Our founding fathers came to America seeking freedom from tyranny. They purchased our freedom with their own blood. They established the greatest constitution the world has ever known. But now it's under attack like never before. Join the Second Amendment March to help us defend our right to keep and bear arms. Go to www.secondamendmentmarch.com and volunteer your help. Please donate if you can. Think about it. If America falls, where will your children live in freedom? Shoot or don't shoot. You decide. Your concealed weapons carry holder. Lawfully, you're going shopping. You find yourself at the mall with your daughter or your son. They're buying the latest whatever. It's a crowded shopping mall day. You're almost done. You're heading back past the Galleria. And you hear a shot being fired inside the mall. You grab your child. You look for a place for cover. To your left, you see security guards running. Firearms drawn. I ask you, what do you do at this point? Shoot or don't shoot. You decide. Question of the week. All right, I asked a question on my Facebook page for all my Facebook family. Hello. What would you do if you didn't have to do what you do now? It pertains to dreams because most men die from the neck up at the age of 25 because they stop dreaming. You know, right now I feel pretty old and it's only because I'm aching, but Minnesota Medical Association defines an old person as a person who, one, feels old, two, feels he or she has learned all there is to learn, three, finds himself saying, I'm too old for that, four, feels that tomorrow holds no promise, five, takes no interest in the activities of youth, six, would rather talk than listen, and finally, longs for the good old days. See, by this definition, there's a whole bunch of people who are old at the age of 30. 
General Douglas MacArthur once said, Nobody grows old by merely living a number of years. People grow old only by deserting their ideas. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up interest wrinkles the soul. Worry, doubt, self-trust, fear, and despair. These are the long, long years that bow the head and turn the growing spirit back to dust. See, you're as young as your faith, as old as your doubt, and as young as your self-confidence, as old as your fear, as young as your hope, and as old as your despair. Choose to stay young. You know it's all in your attitude. What would you do if you didn't have to do what you do now? Nate said he'd buy and sell guns and firearms and be a firearms instructor without a doubt. My daughter said she would sit home and shop online. Psych. She would be in school full time. Coy said he'll join, he'd join the military. Roy S. said he would retire and do whatever he wanted. Al L. said he'll be a cabinet maker, a photographer, and a long-range shooter. David said he'd resume his hobby as a keeper and breeder of reptiles and amphibians. What would they do if they'd have to do what they were doing now? Diana says photography. Mike says he would open a gun shop. My sister says she'd run her own business. Not sure which, maybe a spa where you can come and relax. Robin says, start her own business. William says he's going to quit his job and teach gun safety and conceal carry full time and travel. Alan says, run a mentoring program. Too many young folks are not getting the guidance from adults they should get positive guidance from. Steve says he's going to hike in the salt tubes. Aaron, full-time teaching of firearms. And if when doing that, he'd be a counselor of some type. Dave said it best, probably. He says, I don't have to do what I do. I choose to do what I do. It's all a choice. And that's our question of the week. And that's a wrap. This concludes episode 160 of the Urban Shooter Podcast. Thank you for listening and being with me again. Let me know what you think of my comments. I'm a big boy. I can take it. But it all boils down to respect, doesn't it? We got to do a little better. If you haven't purchased the new iPhone app for the Urban Shooter Podcast, check it out. I get like a whopping 30 cents for everyone that buys one. Also, there's a few things on the UrbanShooterPodcast.com as well as BlackMailTheGun.com. If you like this podcast, send me a review on iTunes or check me out on the Gun Rights Radio Network's forum page or on BlackMailTheGun.info. We got our own forum page as well. We try to do a little bit of everything over here. Self-sufficient, self-reliant, confident, all those good principles that make America free. Until next week, shalom, baby. <laughs>